ground and see exactly what God wants to do because there is something big coming. And, and I, just so you know, I felt that during worship, that God is here. He is going to break whatever is holding you back if we're receptive. So I'll introduce my props here in a sec. But uh, I know it looks strange. But trust me, it's, it'll make sense. When I was in Peru back in 1996, I was asked to preach a message at a uh, kind of like a week-long church revival. And uh, the team leader asked me, he said, Dan, do you feel like you want to lead and talk today? And I said, yeah, I can do that. I had some backup sermons that I was ready to go with. And, uh, you know, we're sitting in the bus on the way to the place. And... I felt like God was saying, I want you to talk about relationships. Okay, well, I'm a single guy. And the only relationship that I really know is all the dumps I've had growing up. And uh, so I feel like, you know, God's telling me, I want you to talk about relationships, talk about love. The Bible I had, I call my little dagger because it's just a little slim line. It's not necessarily a sword, it's just a dagger. And it has in the back a little topical concordance. And so I'm looking up, okay, love, relationships. And I find this verse, Amos 3, 3. And I look at it, and it says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Now, let me tell you how that relates to what we're talking about today. Because what happens is when I decided to go online, my, my wife and I met online. We're Christian Mingle, success story. <laughs> so we met online, but we decided that we were going to enter into a relationship with each other. Right, so you know, first we're looking at each other's profiles, we're doing little winks, you know, little flirts, things like that, and then it gets to that point where we decide we want to get each other's personal email address. So we agreed to get each other's personal email address. Months later, we are at my parents' place in, in Texas, and I got down on my knee and I said, "Would you please be my wife?" And she agreed to walk into a relationship with me. A couple months after that, we're standing over there in Mount Juliet under the gazebo in Charlie Daniels Park, and we're saying our vows, and we walked into an agreement. And all those things we did purposely, we walked into those agreements together. However, I'd like to say that every agreement is a success story, but it's not. Because we do tend to walk into agreements with things that we have no right being agreed to. And I'm going to go through some, some historical stuff from the Bible. I'm going to show you what happens when we make an agreement that we shouldn't be making. Keep in mind that God has already said to the, to the people of Israel, you're not, supposed to, you're not supposed to do this. The whole reason that he was sending them into the promised land was to destroy the nations who were not in agreement with him. So God holds this at a very high level. All right? But now Sean's been talking about Romans 6. Now... He doesn't know this, but when he said he was going to start preaching about Romans, my first prayer to God was, please let me have Romans 6. <laughs> right? So he just so happened to land on this portion, and this is the exact portion that I was praying that God would give me. So thank you, and thank you. So we're going to start Romans 6, uh, 15 to 23, where he left off last time. And uh, I'm going to give you a chance to turn there. Let me get another drink here. All right. 
Shashan left off in verse 14. It says, um, Sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let's go to the next verse, verse 15. It says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Hold there. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that because I have the ability to be forgiven by God, that I have the right to go ahead and sin purposely? Paul's saying no. In fact, I hadn't even heard it said before that once you come out of a sin, once you ask God to forgive you of sin, and you purposely go back and do that sin, it's as if you're spitting in God's face. Because here he is, he's, he's given you his whole forgiveness, and you're, you're, you're saying, thanks God, but then the minute this comes up where you can do it again, you say, I'm going to go do it again. And God's saying, whoa, what happened? I thought we had just come onto a track where you were coming out of that sin. I thought that you had just taken what I gave you and treated it as something precious, and here you are doing it again on purpose. It wasn't that you fell up by mistake, you did it on purpose. And I know this firsthand, because when I was... A while back in 2000, I, my first wife left me because of the fact that I had a pornography problem. Okay? And I went through all the rehabs and I went through this stuff and said, God, forgive me, God, forgive me. And, and I went through the whole battle of, I'm not going to do it again. Whoops, I did it again. I'm not going to do it again. Whoops, I did it again. I'm not going to do it again. And it was a rotation that kept on going and I couldn't break it. Partly because I was trying to break it on my own. What does that song say that we just sang? There's power in the name of Jesus. I wasn't looking at Jesus. I was looking to my own methods. What am I going to do to break this? And, and here we got Paul saying, just because you have forgiveness doesn't mean you get to go sin. That's what I was doing. Oh, I, it's okay if I look at that site because, you know, in five minutes I can pray to God to forgive me and I'm white as snow again. And that's not how it works. God does have this tide with bleach thing that he can wash us all out. But that doesn't mean we get to abuse it. Right? And so let's, let's continue. In verse 16, it says, Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are the ones, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? I want you to skip really quick down to verse 23. And we'll get all the stuff in the middle too, but let's look at verse 23. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now let me tell you in reference to what I feel God is saying here. When I purposely put myself in a position where I think that sinning is a lot better than doing what God says, I am binding myself to sin. Okay? All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What is that form of doctrine? I might do something else that Sean said a couple weeks back. When Paul was studying, he was studying to be a rabbi. Paul knew the Torah. What is that teaching that Paul is referring to here? He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about Genesis to Deuteronomy. And to give you a little indication of what the Torah is and is not, let me ask you this. You who are parents, you'll understand this perfectly. You who have watched kids before, you'll understand this perfectly. If you know any kid, you'll understand this perfectly. I tell my kids where they can and cannot play. I tell them they play in the backyard, they play in the front yard. They have to stay in a certain area. They can't play in the street. Because if they play in the street, what's going to happen? They could get hit. <clears throat> the Torah is not a list of no, 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 no. 
it is a list of God saying, here's the boundaries. And these boundaries are here because I love you. It's not a bunch of rules. And that's how people understand it. They understand it as law. No, it's not. If that's law, then, then give me some more. Because I want to know God's love for me. I want to know God's love for me. <laughs> Breaking already. <laughs> but I want to know God's love for me enough to know that he cares about me. And he gives me these boundaries. And that's what Paul's saying. He's going back to it saying, look, this is how it works. Don't get into this sin. But step out and do what I'm asking you to do. He wants us not to become sins with, or slaves with sin. He wants us to become slaves of obeying God. Because in that is found righteousness. Let's go on. And having been set free, look at that, I'm already free. Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in hurt in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Here's how I understand that. Now, I didn't have a thieving problem, but let's say I did, okay? If I'm using my hand to thieve from the store, to five-finger discount, whatever I want, right? I'm, I'm, I'm doing sin. And God's saying, okay, whatever you were doing before, stop. Okay, well, then how should I use my hands if my hands are, are there for stealing? And God says, well, then use your hands to steal back the enemy's people who he keeps stealing from me. If I'm going to the clubs and I'm using my body to boogie and, and do all the seductive dancing so I can get a gal, God's saying, no, dance for me, worship for me. Right? The things that we used to do that were bringing sin, God's saying, turn it around. Do, it to do, do something to give me glory with what you were doing to give the world glory. In verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free of regard to righteousness. You didn't give a care about what happened to anyone as long as it benefited you. Right? That's when we got selfishness, we got pride, we got all these things. It didn't matter to me. It didn't matter if I hurt my, my first wife or not with my addiction. All that mattered was for those few minutes, I was going to feel good. Right? I, I got so proud and so selfish that I didn't care about her emotions. I didn't care about the damage I was doing to her. All I cared about was me. What am I getting out of this? And that's how our relationship continued. It was always a, a competition. Okay, well, I gave you a massage, so what am I going to get out of this? I gave you this present. What am I going to get out of this? It's all about me. And, and, and that's, that's the attitude of a slave of sin. Let me go on. Verse 21. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? I can't think of one good thing. I can't think of how a destroyed marriage was a good thing. I can't think of how of all the time and all the money I spent working on my addiction, how did that help me in any positive manner, right? I would stay up late after my first wife went to bed just so I could get on the internet when she wasn't around. And then I would live the next hours, the next days thinking, did I erase the memory of the computer? Did I leave anything out? 
did, did, I, did I cross all my T's and dot all my I's, or is, did I leave something out that she's going to find? And I, I, I wasted time that I could have been spending with God. I'm worshiping God. I'm meditating on Him. And here I am meditating on the fact that I cover my sin good enough. And that's not what God wants us to do. What, what benefit did I get? I got nothing. For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end, everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I talked about this in one of the meetings. I can't remember which one. But, you know, God hit me with that verse years ago to explain it to me this way. I work at a job, and I get paid for what I do. Some days the work is hard, some days it's not. Depends on what day it is. Right now we're at a little bit of a slump, so days are a little easier. I still work the eight hours, but, you know, finding work sometimes is a little bit more of a chore. But regardless of what I do, the fact is I get paid for it. Okay, so if I'm reading this verse right, the wages of sin is death. Now hold up. I am working so that I can die. What benefit is that? If I am purposely or even unpurposely walking into sin, I'm going to get paid for that, and it's going to be death. Wow, that sounds fun. <laughs> Sign me up for the retirement plan. <laughs> because that's what it's saying. Yeah. But here's what I love. The next part says, but the gift of God yes. is eternal life. I don't have to work for that. God says, because you have become a slave of the obedience, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with a gift called eternal life. It's a lot better than death. If I had to weigh between the two, I think I'm going to choose life. And isn't that what, what Moses was telling the people back in Deuteronomy 30, 19? I said before you, life or death, blessing or cursing. And then he gives us the answer. Hey, choose life. It's not a trick question. He gave us the answer key. And yet here we are still saying, chain me up. Chain me up. Or, or here we are saying, I'm still chained. I don't know how to get out. What? <laughs> anyway. So let's go back. Since we're talking about Moses, let's go back. Exodus 34, 13. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to just read two verses here real quick. But it's, it has to do with what God is saying. God told Moses and his people, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, their asherah poles, or some translations have groves. Deuteronomy 12, 2 says, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the high hills and under every green tree. God made it very clear. You're going to go into these nations. Don't be like them. Don't convert. Wipe them out. Because they don't worship me the way I want to be worshipped. They don't worship me at all. And if they do, it's... This little pity, I'm just a, a, a God who has a number, not the God. So, I'm going to give you two examples here from our Romans text as to what God has been showing me. I'm going to give you a good example and a bad example. We'll start with the good one first. I want you to look at the example of Moses. I want you to go to Ephesians 11, starting in verse 23. I'm sorry, I mean Hebrews. <laughs> <laughs> Hebrews 11, 23 to 26, it says, By faith, 
Moses, when he was a child, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. First of all, Moses had some awesome parents. If his parents were not afraid of what the king said, right? We go on. It says, by faith, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of God's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for which or to, for he looked for, to the reward. So I heard this verse, and I've heard it paraphrased so many different ways growing up. I heard it one time that says that rejoice in the sin of your season and then get out or something like that. But here's what, here's what it, comes, it comes down to. Moses, we all know the story. He was in Egypt. He, you know, taken up by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the, in the Egyptian ways. And then God shines a light and says, hey, it's time for you to bust out of here. And when you get out of here, I want you to leave all the Egypt stuff behind. Okay? So, so Moses comes to this understanding that there is something bigger that he's supposed to do. He can continue to be a slave to sin, because that's pretty much what this verse is saying in 25. But instead of continuing to be a slave to that sin, he allowed himself to be a slave now to God's obedience, which was get out of Egypt so that he could go through the training, so that he could be used to come back and grab others out of Egypt. There's a good example for you of a guy who was a slave to obedience, which led to righteousness. But I wish they were all good, and I can tell you they're not. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 11. This one I know is in there. We're going to look at verse 5. While you're turning there, I'm going to introduce you to my guy named God. I know he's ugly. It's paper mache. Best I could do at a quick moment with a couple blowings of paper. But this is my God. All right. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. For Solomon went after a sheriff, or Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on a hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the people of Ain. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed, and sacrificed to their gods. Now I don't know if you... Remember this from Bible school or from pastors in the past, but Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines. All right, so let's say that just one of these wives was actually good. He is basically saying he made 299 other idols just for his wives to come and worship. This is the son of David who was, he saw how God treated his dad because his dad followed hard after him. He says he had a heart after God. And now here we got the son who is saying, I know the command. I'm not supposed to intermarry. I know the warning because they might teach you to fall after their gods. But that's okay. I'm going to do it. I'm the smart guy. Remember, I'm the smart guy in the Bible. 
and he was making idols for every one of his wives' gods. Verse 9, so the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord, God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and he commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Solomon, instead of hooking himself, becoming a slave to the obedience of Christ, the obedience of God, he became a slave to sin. And furthermore, he encouraged others by making these gods for them to worship. Now, as I told you, I, I love church history. I went through the rest of the book of Kings, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and I went through and looked at how many times these kings actually did what God asked them to do, with the command being, get rid of the gods. After Solomon, the, the, the kingdom was broken up into two pieces. You had Israel and you had Judah. Israel started falling after, after the ways of Jericho. All right? Now, Jericho was just like his dad. Jericho built up the high places. Omri worshipped the, God, the idols that angered God, or worshipped idols and angered God. Ahab, we all know, he worshipped Baal because he got 1 Kings 18 where they had that little dance and doohickey where they're cutting themselves trying to get Baal to come down and answer. And I just want to say, God showed up again because all the prophets of Baal were sliced up that day. But still, it wasn't enough for them to say, well, you know what, God is greater. Let's, let's put our idols down. No, they continued. Jehoram put away the secret pillar of Baal, but the Bible says he still did evil in the eyes of God. Jehu destroyed the sacred stones of Baal and used them as a latrine. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, I thought. But he did not turn away from the sins of his ancestors, Jeroboam. And Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favor, but did not change his ways or destroy the wooden image. And in the end, it's a big section. I'll just kind of give you the, the heads up here. 2 Kings 17, 9-18, where it talks about the destruction of Israel, it lists the things that God said, you did not do what I asked you to do. It talks about here in verse, I'm going to start verse 16. It says, so they left, they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image of two calves, made a wooden image, and worshipped all the, all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. Verse 17, and they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. This is how serious God takes this stuff. But, lest we should think that Judah was the good guys, let me tell you what Judah did. Rehoboam, which also came after Solomon. The kingdom was split. You had a guy who was the son of Solomon, and you had a guy who the pharaoh in Egypt decided, we'll put you in charge. So you got two different guys. So you got Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and in school I always got the two confused. So don't worry. It all sounds the same. It rhymes. You can do a whole rap about just those two names. <laughs> anyway, it says Rehoboam built high places, pillars, and wooden images. These are the good guys. Asa removed the idols and the sheriff, but he left the high places. Jehoshaphat turned right in the end, but left the high places. Jehoash 
did not destroy the high places. Amaziah did not destroy the high places. Uzziah did not destroy the high places. Jotham did not destroy the high places. Ahaz was considered good, but he still walked in the ways of Israel, is what the Bible says. And then you got Hezekiah. He's a good guy. All right. Hezekiah removed the high places, broke the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah poles, and broke the snake. You know what snake this is? If you go back and you look at uh, numbers, when the snakes were coming in the camp and they would bite the people and they made this snake, not necessarily to worship, but to look at, and they would have their healing. Here we are, that was back in numbers. Here we are in 2 Kings 18.4, and these guys are still worshiping this snake. The snake was never intended to be a god. The snake was intended to get their eyes to look up so they could see God. But they made this snake a god. Right? So he was a good guy. He took all the down and the snake, all the high places, did all right. His son, Manasseh, was not so good. His son went and rebuilt the high places and raised the altars to Baal and the Asherah poles again. This made God so mad that that's when God said, okay, look, Judah, your time is short too. Because you have angered me so much, Manasseh. I'm going to take I'm going to take Judah out too. Just a matter of time. After Judah, or sorry, after Manasseh, we've got the, uh, the king Josiah. And Josiah, again, cleaned the house, took everything back down. And God said, Josiah, I see your heart, and you do what I'm asking you to do, but my word has already been set. I'm going to destroy this place. I won't do it during your time. But Judah is, is going to be destroyed. Three kings later, in this list of kings of Judah, we find Babylonians came in and took it out. Okay? My question is, where are the people who are like Hezekiah and, and Josiah, who are willing to take down these, these idols, these strongholds again, who are willing to, to break away from this sin that they have become attached to, who are willing to see these high places and, and crush them? Where are those people? God wants total annihilation, not just partial obedience. We learned that in Saul. Partial obedience is still disobedience. Saul was taken out because he didn't obey. Right? God rejected him as king. I don't want God to reject me because I am, I'm satisfied skipping along with my little chains on still. I've served enough gods. I've bowed down to enough gods. I don't want that anymore. And I don't want that for the legacy that I'm leaving behind. I got four kids. I don't want them to go into the same thing. I don't want to be like that guy who's like, oh, I'm Hezekiah, but my son is Manasseh, who I go through and do it all right, and my son says, well, I'm going to rebuild it all back for you, Dad. I don't want that. How do we get past that point? We have to be free ourselves. I can't preach what I can't do myself. In fact, I heard... I heard a guy, Nathan Morris, and he said, you can't crucify what you are in agreement with. What am I in agreement with? I hope to God it's all good, but I know for a fact it all ain't. What am I in agreement with? I made this God as a representation to show you they would worship stupid little things like this. They happily 
connected themselves to sin. But here's what God's saying. Who are those people? Who are those people who are going to do that? Who are going to crush the heck out of the enemy? Are you satisfied being chained up? Are you satisfied worshiping something that will not save your soul? I'm not. Uh, this awakening comes, and it needs to start right here at me. I can't tell you what to do if I'm not going to do it myself. I refuse to be a hypocrite. But I refuse also to let you guys stay in bondage. I think someone said earlier, Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Don't go back. You know, I've been free from pornography for a while, and I love it. I refuse to go back. I refuse to put these dang chains back on because I know how they feel. I'm tired of it. And, you know, you might have something totally different than, than that. And that's between you and God. But let me tell you, today is the day when God says, it might not be 4th of July, but I'm willing to give you your independence. Yes. And so I just want to put this place as an altar for you guys, if, if you would. I just want to, you know, I don't know what you're going through personally. I honestly don't know. But I know, like that song says, there is power in the name of Jesus. I overcame my addiction, not because of some 12-step program, not because of anything other than the fact that I began to look at what Jesus was saying and to look at who he is. And that, that's the power that breaks those chains. When the people who, who smashed the idols did what God said, that's when freedom came. Do you want to be free? Maybe something is holding you back. Let's go. Let's get it out. You don't got to tell me what it is. You don't got to tell anybody what it is. It's between you and God. But if you're sick and tired of being bound up, put it out. Get rid of it. It's time that we start crushing stuff instead of letting it crush us. It's time. I encourage you. Come on down. We'll pray for you. We'll stand with you. We'll call on the name of Jesus. We can't do a thing anyway. John 15 tells us that. Apart from me, you can do absolutely nothing. But we will pray that God comes and he breaks these chains that have been holding you down. No matter what they are. I encourage you to come. Come on, come. Hey, this is Pastor Daniel. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Obedient Sheep podcast. If you'd like to get more information on this ministry or even get in contact with me, please go to obedientsheep.net. There you'll be able to leave your information, drop a line, send a prayer request, or even check out the other resources that are available. Thank you again for checking out this ministry, and we hope you have a blessed day.